All right. He is risen. And for 2,000 years, as the church has celebrated that reality, everyone usually responds, he is risen indeed. So wherever you are right now, sitting in a, in a coffee shop, <laughs> scream out, he is risen indeed. Or if you're sitting with your friends, your family, wherever, online, he is risen he is risen indeed. Awesome. Happy Easter to you, man. This is uh, the most important, the most exciting day uh, in the Christian calendar. And so we are glad that you are here. Maybe you have never been to church before at all. Uh, maybe you're like me growing up. I never walked into a church since I was 19. One of the first Easter services I ever went to. I, I, I actually had become a Christian and my family was like, hey, Mark, we kind of think you're part of a cult. We're not really sure if you, you know, you're going to a Baptist church and I don't really know what that is. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And then I invited them all to my baptism on Easter Sunday, 1999. I was almost 20 and all my friends and family showed up and uh, many of whom had never been to church before. And I walked out and they they baptized me and I was in a big white like choir robe and I'm like hello everyone and I like, got baptized and all my friends are like what is going on here why is he dressed like a superhero I'm like hey and so many of you maybe you've never experienced church before we're glad that you are with us experiencing this online we are living in interesting times to be watching to not really be gathering as a church at all in physical spaces but to be gathering online and yet celebrating the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's what we're excited about. Now, I have a story for you from Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to be. It's the last chapter in the gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor. He wanted to go through the, the very specific story about the death and resurrection of Jesus with facts. And he wanted to write it to skeptics, maybe like some of you. And I don't, and, and, and of course he tells the story of the death of Jesus, but then that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he rose again three days later, victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And that's what today's about. And the reality is, every one of us has dealt with death. And many of us think back to the kind of one of the moments that you've dealt with death, the first time you ever experienced death in any way. For many of you, it was uh, like an animal. I remember um, when my daughter Sienna was a little girl, she had bought a, a goldfish and we had kind of put it in this little glass bowl and we were moving and it was the middle of January and we actually moved all of our stuff out of the condo and then we forgot the fish. And so then, and we forgot with the door open. And so I went back to the condo and this fish was frozen solid and I had to sit her down and be like, I'm sorry, Sienna, your mother left the fish behind and killed it and it's dead and I flushed it down the toilet. And she's never really um, loved her mom uh, as much as she used to since. But that's okay, because that's life and I get it. I'm just kidding for those of you who are new. Um, they love each other very much. We all deal with death. I remember one of the worst days of my life was the day I looked at a woman. It was in my early pastoring days and I accidentally told her that her husband was dead, but I actually had the wrong guy. I uh, had gone in for a hospital visit and visited a man who had passed away and it wasn't her husband, but I told her it was her husband and for 45 minutes, we actually mourned the death of this man. And so she kind of in some way got her husband back from the dead, all right? Like resurrection kind of, all right? That was my bad. But that's the reality of all of our lives. We all hit death. We all hit fears. We all hit things in our lives. Like right now, we're living in a very interesting time where fear and anxiety, and we're not sure about the future, any of that. And this is the ultimate story where Easter 
actually breaks into those moments, moments of fear, moments of anxiety, moments of we're not really sure what's going to happen. And it comes out and says, here is the ultimate hope. You can get through this and push through to the other side where there is hope and life and passion and comfort and, and direction and guidance in your life because you get God as the ultimate treasure because God actually came down to save you from all the things in your life that derail you. And that's what Easter is all about. So listen to this story, Luke chapter 24. Here's how it goes. Verse 1. It starts like this. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn. So get that picture. It's early dawn. The sun's just rising. And of course, the gospel writers never waste words. When he says it's the first day of the week, Luke is saying, man, we've been waiting for this week. And this is the first day of the new creation week of the world. That if the resurrection actually happened, it broke open a new reality to the world. Not just for you personally, but for the entire world. It offered, it says something happened in the cosmos when Jesus died and he rose again. And now these people are coming and they're recognizing there's a new world that's birthing. That if Jesus actually died and rose again, if death itself, as C.S. Lewis said, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, those of you who've read that, there's this great moment where Aslan, you know, talks about the idea uh, after he's gone and he's gotten beaten to death on a stone table and they killed him. And then he's visiting with the children after and they said, how are you back from the dead? And he said, because... Way back, there was this rule written, stitched into the universe where if someone who had committed no treachery died in an innocent person's stead on that stone table, then the stone table would crack. And then listen to what Lewis says, and death itself would begin to work backward. That is literally what happened. When Jesus paid the price for our sin, death itself cracked it couldn't, it was, as John Owen, the theologian would say, it was the death of death that Jesus Christ, and it was a new creation week, not just for Jesus, but for the whole world. There was a new offer. The world doesn't have to be like this anymore. Death doesn't have to define you. Fear doesn't have to define you. Anxiety doesn't have to define you. Sin doesn't have to define you because there's a new day of the week. There's a new creation that has dawned in the entire world and it's on offer to all of us. And so it says that they came to early dawn and they went to the tomb, taking the spices. Now, the reason he was in a tomb was because he had died. They had beaten Jesus to death, and he went to a tomb, and he's sitting there for three days. They buried him in Guy's tomb. He said, hey, you can use our tomb, and he's there, and there's this big stone rolled in front of it. So that's why they go there, and they expect to simply be taking spices to go, hey, he's dead, he's there, we're here to visit him. And then it says this, taking the spices they had prepared. Here's what I love about this. You know, the most important day in the history of the world, Easter Sunday, it happens when people are doing the most normal things. They're taking their spices that they had prepared and they're bringing it to Jesus and they're defeatist. They think it's all over. They're not even sure what's going on. They're just doing what they're doing. They're living normal life. They're like you and me, right? This is what's beautiful. Christianity, if you're not a Christian, or even if you are, you know this. The beautiful thing about Christianity is it interrupts. It interrupts our life. It interrupts the rhythm of our life. You're a, you're a mother. You're a, you're, a, you're a father. You're a business person. You're a doctor. You're a lawyer. You're, you're trying to build a business. You're a student. Whatever you are, you're a grandparent. And you're going about life. And Easter and Christianity has this way of interrupting and saying, hey, remember that thing you were doing? Let me derail that. Let me challenge that. It's like Christmas. 
Like, think about Christmas. God literally um, shows up and makes what historically they say Mary was probably 14 years old when she's pregnant with Jesus. Think about that. And the angel just appears and goes, hey, Mary, look, you're pregnant with Jesus. And she's like, crazy. You don't even get to name him. Okay, I guess I'll name him Jesus. Yeah, good, because that's what I told you. And by the way, God never even asked your opinion on what you thought about this. He just made you pregnant, and I'm showing up to tell you. This isn't a committee meeting. There's no vote. All right, hey, what do you think? Virgin birth, I don't know. He just interrupts, and so this 14-year-old girl's life gets totally derailed. This is the beauty of God. This is the beauty of my life. I was heading this direction. I was going to do all these things with my life. I was a writer. I loved writing. I loved writing screenplays. I was involved in the film industry. My buddy and I were going to go. We were going to be editors. We are going to be directors. We are going to be screenplay. We are going to be actors. We are going to do our own films. And I literally wrote a sequel to Titanic. It's called Titanic 2. Hashtag. Right? And the reality is, it was a great story about Jack and Rose and how their love continued. All right? And some of you are like, how is that going to happen? Jack died. Listen, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I was going to be a billionaire when they made that movie. Here's the reality. I gave it all up to be a pastor for you guys. You can thank me later. The reality is I love you, all right? And so God interrupted me. I was doing this with my life, and he said, here's what I want you. This is a beautiful part of this story. This is a beautiful part of your life right now. Don't be afraid of it because you're going to be in the hands of a loving God, a good God, a good father who's going to take you on an adventure that you could never imagine. But it's the best part because it takes all the mundane stuff of life. Listen how boring this reads. Taking the spices they had prepared. <laughs> God goes, what if you're taking the spices, you're doing the mundane, you're doing the normal, and I show up and decide to do Easter in your life? What if you're just doing the bills after this, after you watch this, and you're trying to get the mortgage figured out, and you're trying to do this, you're trying to raise the kids, awesome things, all under the grace of God. But what if Easter shows up in your life and says, you want to live for something? Why don't you live for something other than the mundane? Because listen, watching uh, all the seasons of Mad Men in six sittings right now is not a vision for your life. Getting a boat and redoing the kitchen is not a vision for your life. It doesn't fulfill you. Jesus goes, what if Easter could show up in your life, in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of the everyday, and change everything about you? That's what happens to these guys. So listen, what happens? They prepare all this stuff. Verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. That's important because here's what Christianity is. Listen, Christianity is not a religion, right? It's not a set of ideas. It's not a philosophy of life. It's not trying to tell you if you do these things, you can get to a state of enlightenment. If you're a good person, then this is going to come back on you. See, Christian, every other religion founded, you can go and visit the tomb of the person who founded it and their bones are in there, and they're in there. It's only the tomb of Jesus that is empty. He founded a faith, but then he rose from death. And if he's not in there, then Christianity, you shouldn't believe it. See, if history could prove and grab the bones of Jesus, say, okay, we found the bones of Jesus. He didn't actually raise the dead. Then Christianity's over. It's done. It's not the right religion. But that's never happened. Why? Because the it's built 
Christianity is not built on a set of principles and ideas and elitism that if you can be smart enough, you can do this. And if you can be strong enough, you can earn it. It's built on a historical moment that says, if you can prove this moment to be false, Christianity's over because it's built on facts. Some of you are fact finders. Some of you, you, you're skeptics. Like the people in this story, you're gonna see, they don't really believe it right away. If you look at the story, it says uh, in verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. That's the reality. Here's the thing. The tomb is empty. Jesus rose from the dead. It's not about principle one, principle two, principle three. There was a uh, church I was reading about a while ago and they had a gathering of their people to vote on something. And one of the gentlemen was like, I don't believe we should have drums in church. It was like this uber conservative church. And uh, the meeting uh, kind of chair went, okay, you know why? And he's like, because if Jesus knew that we had drums in church right now, he'd be rolling over in his grave, All right? Now, listen, if Jesus is rolling over in his grave, y'all, we have bigger problems than drums in church. All right, go home. Christianity's false. It's over. It's done. But here's Luke. And he's saying, hey, listen, the tomb was actually empty. The body of Jesus wasn't there. Verse four, while they were perplexed about this. I love that. He's not afraid to go. They were confused. The guy's dead three days ago. Now he's not dead. Stone's never been rolled. I'm confused. See, um, one writer has said that oftentimes we look back at ancient people with chronological snobbery, meaning we look at them and because we're further along in the chronology of history, we go, oh, they're so dumb. They didn't believe in like stuff like science. All right, listen, you go ask, go back to the Christmas story. You go ask Joseph whether he knew anything about science. When Mary walked up and said, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. He's like, dude, what are you, what are you talking about? You're pregnant. We're engaged. We've never actually been together. What, and she, you know, he was going to leave her. He wasn't like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Oh, God impregnated you? Totally get it. Let's move on. That's not how it went. He knew exactly about science. He knew the way babies worked. These people knew the way dead people worked. When they died, they died, they died. But here, they're perplexed. You ever been perplexed? See, find yourself in this story. You ever been confused? Maybe right now in the midst of life, you're like, I don't even know the answer to the deeper questions. I know that what's going on in the world right now is raising all these deep questions for you about meaning and existence and God and salvation and, and fear and anxiety and where the, where, where the future going? Where, what is all this? Find yourself in this story. This was a moment of, of perplexion. They didn't know the answers. They didn't know where to go. I've always, I grew up pretty perplexed about the questions of God. I didn't know anything about Christianity or Jesus or anything. And it was when I started to actually study it that I began to realize, for you skeptics out there, that you can be perplexed about Jesus, but the reality is Christianity is the best answer in the marketplace of ideas. It answers the questions. It fulfills not only fact, it fulfills what we want to be true. It fulfills the joy and the, and the passion and the delight of life. It answers in the best way the question of evil and suffering. Some of you might right now, might, why would a good God allow what's going on in the world right now? It seems like he may not exist if he allows. See, it's the question of evil and suffering. Is there so much suffering in the world that God couldn't exist? See, here's what Christianity says. It says, listen, the fact that you even have a category called suffering 
points to the question of God because you wouldn't even have a category unless God gave it to you to, to define what is evil and what is suffering. If we're just animals that came along and it doesn't matter, there are no categories of evil, uh, objective, absolute categories called right and wrong. It's just people and opinions. You'd have nothing to put God on trial with if there was no such thing as evil and suffering. And the reality is, so the Bible comes along and it goes, you know what? It doesn't always give an answer for every moment of, of pain that we face. But what it does do, it says that this is the God that got involved. This is the God that actually came down in the midst of the pain and the suffering of all of our lives. I remember listening. There was a pastor who has a church in New York City. And the sermon he preached the Sunday after 9-11. I went and listened to it recently. Here he was, a church of about 2,000 people. 9-11 happens on a Tuesday. And on a Sunday, what was he going to preach? His church literally tripled in size. They started calling services on the spot. What do we... And he preached from John 11, the, la the death of Lazarus sitting in the tomb. And it says that Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Go look it up. Go Google it. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? John 11. It says, Jesus wept. And he raised this question. He said, why did Jesus weep when he knows that in five minutes he's going to walk up to the tomb of Lazarus and say, get up. And Lazarus is going to unwrap and they're going to go on and live life again. So why is Jesus weeping? You know why? Here's a beautiful picture. Here's what the, the speaker said. Because he wants to enter in to all the pain that human beings know. He wants to lean into it. He wants to know it. He wants to take it and absorb it and embrace it and be one of us. See, here's what Christianity is, why it's the best. Because it says that God actually did something about evil and suffering. It says that he actually came in and absorbed it on himself so that we could come out the other side of it. Remember um, Lord of the Rings, that great scene in the two towers where it's like totally a disaster. Everything's a disaster. And, and, and it's like, where's this going to go? I can't believe it. And, and, and Sam Wise looks at Frodo and he says these words. I love it. He says, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? And then he says this, but in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and listen to this, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. That actually on the other side of the darkness, it, the sun is brighter. That Jesus on the other side of death, you on the other side of this moment, whatever it is for you, that your life will shine out the clearer if the reality of Easter is true in your life, is true in your heart, is true in your mind, is true about everything you do. And so here they are, the body's gone, they're perplexed. And it says this, behold, look at verse four. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I love that. It's like a Broadway show, all right? There's two guys, they're like, what's up? I'm in dazzling apparel, <laughs> jazz hands. And they're like, show up, and they're sitting at the tomb, and the tomb's empty, and these guys are perplexed, and they give the jazz hands. And so, now, here's what's very interesting for you skeptics out there. I love the fact that Luke tells us that we're two, they're angels, all right? I love how he says two. Now, here's why. Um, skeptics throughout the years, and I used to be one of them, look at the resurrection stories, and they say, hey, listen, 
The Bible's not real. It's made up. The early church was making up stories. They created a religion. They wanted us all to just follow this Jesus character. They just wrote up stories. And here's the reality. They didn't even get their facts right because in Matthew, there's X amount of angels. In John, there's this many angels. In Luke, there's this many angels. They can't even get them right. In one gospel, there's one angel. In another gospel, there's two angels. You see, they're all made up stories. And here's what even the most secular of scholars recognize. Actually, those little uh, differences are, speak to the legitimacy of the New Testament. Here's why. Because if the early church actually was making a religion, here's what they would do. They would make sure there was no differences. They would all get in the room and go, okay, here's the deal. We're going to make up a religion. Now, at the pivotal moment, there's going to be a resurrection. It's going to be an empty tomb. We're going to claim it. We're going to steal the body. So here's what we're going to do. How many angels are going to be there? Matthew, tell me. One or two? Yeah, we're going to go two. Two, Luke, two, John, two, Mark, two. Everybody, two, 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 two. Not one, idiot. Two, right? They would do that, but they don't. When you read one, there's like one because one of them's just trying to say, hey, listen, one of them spoke. Another gospel is trying to tell you how many were there. They're not contradictions. They're different angles on the same story, which my wife and I do all the time. How many times have I sat and I'm trying to tell a good story and my wife keeps interrupting with all these facts, all right? And it's just like, hey, I'm like, hey, listen. So then I was in this gas station and four guys rolled up me. She's like, I think it was two guys and one of them was like 90. I'm like, dude, can you chill with the, all this stuff? Like I'm telling a story. All right, so it's like midnight. I think it was like 4 p.m., Mark. Hey, listen. So here's the reality. People, when they study the gospels, they realize that these different stories, they're coming from different angles. They're trying to emphasize different things. And so the fact that there are two there has this legitimacy to the New Testament, the legitimacy of the authority of the Bible in your life. And then it says they're standing there, dazzling apparel, verse five. And as they were frightened, Easter comes to us in the midst of a frightened moment. You feeling that right now? We don't know what tomorrow holds. We're not really sure. We don't know where to look for answers. I'm telling you, the only way their fear goes away is by the resurrected Jesus. They're frightened when they're standing, before they've investigated Easter being true, before they've believed it, they're frightened. Underline that word, frightened. That's, that's literally the context and the environment for Easter. This moment we're in worldwide right now where we're not sure, Easter is a balm to our soul, to our minds, to our lives, to the direction of what we're going to do with our finances and our, our kids and our jobs, all the things that we're worried about. And legitimately so, I get it. There's Easter. There's the resurrected Jesus giving us, I mean, you want to know what, for, for those of us looking for, for encouragement right now, you know what the beautiful end of this story is? Jesus appears to his disciples later in the story. And in verse, uh, you can look it up later, verse 36 of Luke 24, it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, first words of Jesus to them after the resurrection, listen to this, first word out of his mouth, peace to you. Some of you, you just need to hear those words of Jesus right now. Peace. In, the, in, the, in my presence, I bring peace. I, the, the storm calms in the midst of what I bring. Not in, not in the midst of what religion brings. That will stress you out because you gotta work. You get on the treadmill and work for it, work for it, work for it. Not in the midst of that, what I bring. What I bring, peace. And then it says this. They bowed their faces to the ground 
The men said to them, I love this line. It's like they knew that they were going to be quoted forever and they worked, the angels worked on this line and they're like, when they ask me what we're going to do and what this is, I got this like Shakespearean line that's legit and you better let me say it. All right. Listen to this line. It's gold. Why do you seek the living among the dead? That's mic drop angel sentence right there. It's like, oh, you're confused? Why do you seek the living among the dead? All right. I mean, this guy's in the zone. And the other angel's like, dude, you stole my line. So he is not here, but has risen. I mean, they say it like it's normal. They say like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? They're like, because every single person throughout history when they die, dies and stays dead. That's what do you mean? Why am I here? Are you saying I, sh are you saying I should be expecting something different than what has happened every single time to every human being ever? Yeah, why are you looking? Because he's risen. And if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you've got to be confronted by that reality right now, wherever you're watching this, confronted by the, the crisis of it in a sense and how it interrupts. He rose from the dead, they say. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. We got to understand that about ourselves. We're sinful. That there's, 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 uh, we were made in the image of God in the garden and we sinned against God. We rebelled against him. We took charge ourselves. You ever feel that about yourself? Like the authority of you? And so we fell. We had sin separate us from God and that separation needed to be bridged. And so God had this Old Testament story of this people of Israel and they would sacrifice and they would do these things that all pointed toward this climactic moment when one day something would happen. It says this, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified so Jesus died on a cross. That's that whole image. It's what we've been talking about. It's what this whole weekend is about. Good Friday was about Jesus dying on a cross in the place of sinful people like you and me who elevate ourselves and, and, and needed a reconciliation with God. We needed to be put back together with our creator and in love and be able to walk with him again. Do you, do you feel that? like brokenness in you, where you kind of pine for a new world. Every time you pine for a new world, every time you go, there's something broken with this world, it's a, it's a little pointer that God's got in your soul to go, what are you comparing this world with? If, I, if you hadn't been created in a perfect world, you wouldn't even know what's broken. You wouldn't even know that something is broken. It's only because you know a perfect world in your soul. It's almost like nostalgia. It's almost like memory in there of a non-brokenness. And so I had to come, send my son Jesus to die for you instead of you and because of you on a cross, taking the wrath of God on himself so that if we believe in him, if we turn from sin, if we trust in Jesus, then we are forgiven for that sin. We get reconciled back to God. That's what he's saying. This is what the, the son of man had to do. He must be delivered into the hands. He must be crucified, shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. It's the only way. You can't earn it. 
If you could earn it, Jesus never would have had to come and die. And you would be, some of you are drastically tired trying to earn it, trying to be a good person, a good man, a good woman, a good kid, a good student, a good friend, a good husband, a good spouse, whatever. He earned it for you. And he said from the cross, it's finished. You can't top this up. I died for you. I shed my blood for you. That's what the forgiveness is. And I can wipe as far, your sin, as far as the east is from the west. Only I can do it though. And then it says, on the third day, rise. So Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose. Do you know why? He didn't rise from the dead for himself. He rose from the dead for you, for me. Because when he rises from the dead, you know what that is? That's God saying, what he did on the cross for your sin, it worked. It's the vindication of Jesus to the world. This was my guy. This was my son. This is the one I sent down to accomplish what you could not accomplish. And you want to know that I chose him among all the others who claim to be doing that, all the other religious leaders, all the other religions. I'll tell you why. I raised him from the dead and he ascended into heaven and you'll never find his body because this is the only way. No other way gets you to me. This is what God's saying. No other way gets you to heaven. None. It's just Jesus. It's narrow. Yeah, and I know that's offensive to modern culture. It's super narrow, but it's the only way. That's what he's saying. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, verse 8, and they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They went away and they told people. They were jacked up. They went, my goodness, Jesus saved me. It's legit. I got to go tell someone. I'm going to bury it and be bored by it. Great, Jesus is Lord. Anyway, pass the chips. That's not what they do. They're like, let's tell some people. Our life got changed. Let's reorient everything about us and tell everybody we know. Which is why we're here as a church. We love you. We want you to connect to Jesus. We want you to connect to our church. If that's what you, you're needing a local community. There's no such thing as a Christian who just exists on their own. We do it in community. We're on mission together. And so we want you to connect. Let us know. Sign up, get prayer. This is a moment in your life. You're hearing the gospel of Jesus. Receive it because there's two kinds of people, right? Look at this. Verse 10, now it was with Mary Magdalene and Johanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe. That's some of you. You just, you're not gonna believe this. You're never gonna believe it. You're never gonna receive it. You're never gonna accept it. You're skeptical of it. Let let, let, the, let the gospel, let the power of God right, right in this moment burn away that skepticism for you and have the courage to go, you know, because I think some of your skepticism, to be honest, may be not built on like, I have a bunch of 10 facts about why Easter's not true. For some of us, it's a fear. It's that you don't know what your family's going to say if you start to follow Jesus. You don't know what your coworkers are going to say. You don't know what your girlfriend's going to say. You don't know what your, whatever. And it's that fear. And that's why you fit that first group you don't believe. I would challenge you to become part of the second group. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. I love this. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home, listen to this, marveling at what had happened. Can I just say to you, that yes, Christianity is a faith that calls you to believe in Jesus, have faith in him, justification by faith, of course. But there's something else. When we baptize people, 
and we've seen 16, 1,700 people baptized over the last 10 years as a church. The life transformation has been unbelievable. And every time we baptize them, you know what we ask them? We're in the water with them and we ask them, do you accept Jesus Christ as Lord? Yes, he's Lord of my life. Do you accept him as Savior? Yes, he saved me from sin. He saved me from the wrath of God. But then we don't stop there. That's where many people stop. The third thing, do you receive Jesus Christ as treasure? See what Peter just did? He didn't just believe in the gospel. He didn't just believe in Easter. He marveled at it. He treasured it above every other truth in the universe. It set him on fire. He loved it. The question is not just, hey, do you forensically, dogmatically believe in a set of ideas? It's do you love him? Do you treasure him and cherish him and marvel at what he is, who he is and what he's done and what he's doing in your life. And will you give everything about you to it? That's the beauty of Easter. And so we as a church invite you. Jesus is the hero. You are not the hero of your life. And so let that just breeze through your hair. Let that say you free. Just be like, yeah, I don't have to be the hero in my marriage. Like say you free. Like you don't have to be your wife's hero. You don't have to be perfect. Just be like, okay, I'm not be perfect. Beautiful. Because Jesus is perfect for me. Father, I pray for everyone watching, for everyone listening to this, that they would have a meeting with you right now, that you would be speaking to them and that the beauty and the power and the reality of Easter would be confronting all of us. And we wouldn't be people who walk away like this first group and not believe, but like Peter, we would not, and we would believe and then we'd also marvel. We'd trust in you, but we'd also love you that the reality of the risen Jesus on our behalf would change our life, change everything about us, how we raise our families, how we work, how we love, what our vocation is in life. What is our identity? Where do we get joy? Where do we get passion? Where do we get fulfillment? Where do we find meaning that it would be in you, Jesus, in you over and over and over again? And you would give us a new path. Do that among us. Let us have the courage to believe today In Jesus' great name we pray, amen.